Hello and welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, episode Lucky 13. I'm Ryan Sir. With me as always is Don Helbig. Don, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Ryan. How I'm about doing you? pretty well. It's turning fall. It's haunt season. Do you like haunt season, Don? You know, I love this time of year, you know, especially in the amusement theme park industry, you know, and if you're a content creator, it's the, it's a spectacular time of year uh, to go out and create content. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And what an interesting segue that we totally did not plan because we have one of the foremost content creators in the coaster community right now. We've got Taylor Bybee from Coaster Studios. How are you doing today, Taylor? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm narrowly avoiding the big hurricane hitting Florida right now. Uh, so I had to delay a flight to uh, make sure that that didn't happen. Otherwise, I might not have power right now. Awesome. So, no, uh, things are doing great right here in sunny Richmond, Virginia. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Taylor obviously runs the Coaster Studios channel over there on YouTube. So make sure you check him out. He's got awesome like vlogs about parks. He's been all over Europe. He's going back to Europe in a couple weeks, from what I understand. He's he went to Japan, uh, all sorts of stuff. So uh, Taylor, you've got a wealth of knowledge, and we're we're really honored to um, to have you on here. Um, by the way, love Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. I was just out there to go to Dominion and uh, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, about uh, right around July. So awesome, cool. So uh, let's start with the basics. How did you get started doing your YouTube channel? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I've I grew up in Richmond, so uh, I've been here for a good good portion of my life. Uh, so I was always interested in roller coasters, but when I was younger, I was absolutely uh, scared of them. I found them fascinating, but I don't know if I had the courage to go out and ride them. And when I was in middle school, I was surprised with a trip to Orlando, and I wanted to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter because uh, who wouldn't? And there they have a couple roller coasters that I credit to breaking that initial fear of mine, which are uh, Dueling Dragons and The Incredible Hulk. And so after that day of, of riding those attractions, I was hooked instantly. And uh, but even before, before that, I was always interested in just filming things around the house, home movies. I had an old camera that uh, my mom never used, and so I'd... I taught myself how to put all these things together. And so uh, I didn't really have any mm -hmm. formal training, I guess you could call it, until actually college. Uh, I majored in digital cinema. I graduated at the end of 2020. And so I, I'm now at the point where I've been doing Coaster Studios for, I would say, about 10 years. I think I started in, in 2012. So it is uh, absolutely crazy. I think if you had asked me back then, you know, if I could look forward in the future, what would I be doing? I, I don't think I would have guessed this. I mean, I, I read a survey that said kids these days want to be YouTubers as their dream job more than anything, which is crazy because that was not a thing when I was a kid at all. Like, uh, I, I didn't plan for any of this to happen. It just kind of uh, fell into my lap. It was I won't say it was all sheer luck or anything. I absolutely put you know a ton of hard work into it. It's a lot of perseverance. Um I didn't really know what I was doing, though, when I just got started. I was just doing it for pure fun. And I was, I'm was i mm -hmm. so grateful that um, people found what I was doing interesting and that it uh, caught on. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to do what I do. Taylor, background in film. You said you're always interested in film, uh, which begs the question, you know, why theme parks really is the focus of your channel? You could have done so many different things. Like a friend of mine, uh, he like flips houses, and he started like a YouTube thing doing that. So uh, just why theme parks? 
I think I think going back to what I was talking about, I was just always interested in them. And so I think in a way it was a no brainer. Um, I mean, I think I've always been a very focused individual. So I whenever I find a topic or something that interests me, I'm very driven to find out as much as I can about it. So like when I was a kid, it was Star Wars. I just want to know everything Star Wars. And so then right around after I did that trip to uh, Orlando, I then got hooked on roller coasters and theme parks. And so I just wanted to know everything about it. And that's right around uh, shortly after I when I started posting up YouTube videos. And so I, I think it was something that I, again, I, I didn't know that I wanted. I, I didn't start the channel with the intentions of growing it into a formal YouTube channel, kind of what we know today. I was just posting it because it was fun i found it entertaining it was a way for me to kill time i think i didn't even know that it was something you could turn into a job until much later on so it was uh it was it was pretty crazy how everything happened when i look back on it i'm like wow i i there's no way i could have planned for any yeah awesome yeah it seems like you uh you really had a path to uh to success over the time and you made a lot of good decisions but let me ask you this um, you have a YouTube channel, but I can give that moniker to probably 90% of the people in America. You do it as a profession. It's your job. At what point did you decide that you can do this, you can support yourself doing it? And uh, what was that like, just knowing that you can be creative and you know do what you love to do um, you know, for a living? So I think I started Coaster Studios at the perfect time because... As soon as I was able to start making money for it, it was always the perfect amount of income in regards to the age that I was at. And so, you know, I was a freshman in high school when I started. I didn't start making money straight away, but it was probably, you know, maybe two years after that. And so uh, I still, yeah, the channel had been around for two years. So I had a following, but it wasn't huge, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it was enough that as a junior in high school, you know, this isn't bad at all. You know, I don't really have to go out and get a part-time job like a lot of these kids did. Now, my dad encouraged me to, and I ended up doing that for a short period of time just because, uh, you know, I guess that's the, the thing you do when you're that age. I ended up actually making more off of Coaster Studios at that time than I did the part-time job. And so I was like, all right, cool. I got the experience. I don't really like this. I'm just going to go back to making <laughs> YouTube videos. And so um, as I got older and, you know, going into high school, like, uh, through high school and then into college, uh, the channel grew as did the amount that you need to make in order to survive. And so it was always just the right amount to where I've, I've been comfortable that I can do what I want and um, continue to, you know, uh, save up as well as uh, reinvest everything back into the channel to produce more content. Because when I really think about it, most of the big purchases I make are, are things that I'm putting back into Coaster Studios, whether it's trips, because I bottom line is I love going to theme parks, I love traveling, and then uh, equipment, things that I, I want to help make the quality better. Yeah, Taylor, as much fun as it looks, you know, for everyone out there watching and thinking about doing something like, you know, starting their own YouTube channel, it is a job to take a commitment. Uh, there's a lot of work you have to put into it. Uh, uh, you know, traveling to all the different parks, the time you spend editing. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start a YouTube channel, you know, whether it's doing a theme park one or just anything else? You know, 
the YouTube scene is a lot different now than when I got started. I I think it is a lot harder to get a following going on YouTube now than it was when I started. Um, but I mean, the things that I would say, I I think that a big reason why Coaster Studios took off is um, two things. I think originality and I think just perseverance and consistency. So I was posting frequently and even when things weren't great, you know, and definitely could have been better, I was always trying my best to, uh, I guess, just do better than the previous video. And I wasn't doing content that everyone else was doing. So when I look at what a lot of YouTube channels are doing, a lot of them are, are kind of similar to uh, what you'll find with a larger channel that always has a substantial following. So what happens is if you are doing the exact same thing, someone who's just a casual YouTube viewer is more likely to go and watch content from the well-established channel that's doing the same sort of thing than someone that's just getting started. It's just kind of reality. People look at numbers. You know, I'm more likely to watch a YouTube video from someone that has a million subscribers than probably someone that has like 10,000, you know, even though the quality of the video might be great. So I think where originality comes in is if you are doing something that you can only get on that channel, then I believe a lot more people are, are more likely to go ahead and, and, and watch what you're putting out. So I think, you know, there's multiple things you can bring to the table, but I think that's definitely a, a huge thing. Yeah, Taylor, you make an excellent point. Uh, I was uh, having this discussion with uh, my friend Brandon from Theme Park Predictions. I don't know if you know him personally or not, uh, but he said that thumbnail, title, and caption or description, I think, are the two big ones. And then he mentioned the consistency too. So it seems like that's pretty well accepted. Um so you you mentioned that uh, you know you want to bring content that you can't get just anywhere. You know, obviously that's what draws the people in. Um, is that the biggest differentiator between a video that does well and a video that does really well? Because it seems like sometimes when people are early on, when they're their first or second year, especially being a full time YouTuber, they um, they upload a video and they think it's going to do well and it doesn't, or they think it's just an everyday video and it and it takes off. But people who are more experienced like you that have got ten years under the belt kind of have an idea of how well it's going to go. Mm -hmm. So for you, what do you think is the big differentiator between a video that does well? Because I assume every video that you put up probably does relatively well, but there are obviously some that do way better than others. Like, what's in your mind when you do this? Yeah, yeah. well, first of all, you, you'd be surprised. Um, I, you know, I can look at things and take a guess of how well something's going to do. But a lot of the times it is a total surprise when something takes off. Like there's just some things that the YouTube algorithm pushes that you can't predict. So right now I have a video that is, uh, I think it's almost, a, or maybe it just passed 200,000 views and it was not one I ever would have guessed would have performed as well as it did. And so, and you know, you can look through some of these analytics and some of these stats and you can see that it's just something that YouTube is, pushing under the the recommendations so when you're watching a youtube video and you have the sidebar where it's all these different recommended videos and it says that like 90 percent or something like that of the people who are clicking on that video is because they see it in the the recommended feed so it, it's bizarre sometimes which videos youtube picks to show up there um you know i 
can always take a guess. I can I I know what the type of videos that uh, my audience likes and which videos might cater more to the masses. But at the end of the day, there's been plenty of times where I've put up a video that I think is going to do great and it does not, or or vice versa, where I've put up a video and I've just been completely shocked when it when it takes off. So um, I think some of the things that you mentioned earlier uh, with your uh, your friends are absolutely right. Thumbnail, title, description. These are all very important things and things that I'm still learning about. You know, I, I'm, I try to always learn as much as I can throughout this whole thing. I, I want to keep getting better, but you know, it is whenever you get a new subject or something, you know, and you're uploading it the night before and you're thinking about, all right, what do I title this? What do I put in the thumbnail? These are things that oftentimes you aren't planning out like way in advance. And so sometimes it, it's a make or break. And there's been a couple times where we've put up a video out and it's just not doing well. And so it's like, okay, maybe I should go change the thumbnail. I should go change the title. And sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I definitely agree with what he was saying that it, uh, doing some of those things is a huge factor in that. But also there's just some, some ideas and some categories of topics that, by nature, are just going to interest more people so, than others. Um, I love, I love yeah. the Halloween season, but I'll be honest, our Halloween videos do not typically <laughs> do that well, which is tough because I love them. I love doing mazes and stuff, but sometimes uh, our audience. So l- let me let me <laughs> piggyback on that. So you obviously put a lot of money into. For example, the uh, I like your dark coaster cup. By the way, for those of you who are listening, that's really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I got that at the media event. We got that's to go awesome. The it was um, so, but. Uh, <laughs> So you you obviously you've you've done content in Japan and Europe and I mean you were gone for like all summer this year. Is the return on investment there for stuff like that or is that more of the same kind of content but you're doing what you want to do? Yeah, you know, I I'm at an advantage here where I'm always able to get multiple videos from a park. So, you know, if we say we're going to spend uh $100 on a hotel to go to this place, 50 bucks on a park ticket, and then you know we have a rental car and all this stuff for for a trip. Um, I'm able to typically get multiple types of videos out of that visit. That I would say more often than not, it is able to make a return on investment and ends up being a profit. Um, but that's not always the case, and so that's when doing a road trip can come in handy because more often than not, I'm able to get content that does really well at one location. It kind of balances out uh, some from others. So. Whenever I've done a, a big, you know, I love doing these huge road trips, especially international ones. Uh, I historically have always ended up turning a profit from it. But sometimes it, it takes a while, you know, and it it also it can be a little tricky because uh, you have to think about it in a couple of ways. You have to think about, one, the expenses to get there, uh, the expenses that when you're actually at the park or the location, and then also the physical time that you're spending time is money the amount of time that you're spending at a park as well as the amount of time it's going to take to uh produce content about something so it you know it's when you think about all of that it's really tough to kind of come up with like a i would say how much you're actually uh spending and earning you know like per hour like if you were to really kind of look at it it's i I think that's a lot more difficult than thinking about it in like a, a perspective of just overall, okay, if I spent this much going to this location and when I think about all of the videos we put out from that location, you know, just kind of comparing numbers that way. So, um, but I mean, I, I, I 
keep a big archive of all the footage you shot. And oftentimes I'm still using footage that I shot years ago. Um, you mentioned the Japan trip. That was in 2019. It's now three years later. I'm still, you know, every once in a while using some shots from going to that location. So uh, even if we got to the point where I was, you know, uh, breaking even or, or maybe uh, that trip was a financial loss, at the end of the day, I still love it. I'm still glad I went. And so I, I, I don't think I've ever done a trip to a location and been like, that was yeah, a waste of time. Taylor, let's talk about the content that you create. I know in my position, you know, creating content, you know, for owned and shared channels, there's always a content calendar that, uh, you know, I'm working from, like planning out when things are going to get posted, uh, when. But what about for you? Are you looking like ahead? You have like a certain plan that you're, you're uh, focused on on this date. I want to post this video that date. I'm going to post that video. You mentioned frequency, you know, like you need to have so many things each week. How does that work for you? Talk about that. Is difficult, but it is uh, doable. It just takes a lot of planning. Um, I'm not the only one that edits for Coaster Studios. My girlfriend, Sarah, uh, is a big contributor to the channel, helping film and edit stuff. So we'll split the work where we can uh, make a calendar look where we plan out, I would say typically three to four weeks in advance. We kind of just look day by day, be like, okay, we have this much stuff. We And then we have a list, just a big list of all the different categories of videos, all the different things that we want to eventually get to and coming up with an, oh, an order. So one thing I, I pride myself in is I think that Coastal Studios is a variety channel. Not every video is going to appeal to every person, but hopefully there is something on there that will appeal to someone. And so... I don't want to post the same type of video every single day. I like to mix it up, do something. Uh, let's we'll do a review here. We'll do a, a vlog on this day. We'll do um, some sort of like uh, we, we have a bunch of different type of videos. We're in October or almost in October. So so maybe this one is a Halloween video, you know, um, and then we'll do a live stream on, on this week. So it is stuff that we always try to take into consideration. But absolutely, there's been times that, you know, we always try and prioritize newsworthy headlines, things that uh, Park just announced, something that uh, people are talking about. Try and fast track those kind of videos because they're relevant. People are interested about it. And so the sooner we can put it up, the better. So on the day that we're recording this, SeaWorld San Diego just announced a roller coaster yesterday. So today we posted a video talking about the new attraction. So we were just we just slid everything back a day so that we could accommodate for a video about a topic that people were interested. Yeah. It's funny. You talk about, um, you know, the variety on your channel and, you know, um, it seems like it's evolved quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Cause you used to do the thing when you would like time a parks operations as well as, uh, yeah. Cause I remember that, but probably doesn't go over well all the time, but, uh, they were great videos in theory, and I, I liked them. I think the problem was they weren't the most factually accurate. It ended up being kind of, it was a luck of the draw, you know? So, um, People had fun with them. They were popular, um, but I think uh, there's. It was just tough to come up with a, a way to make it the most um, accurate without standing outside of each attraction for well, like. Well, in order to make it scientific, hour. you got to spend like, your whole day filming. One. You know. Yeah. Well, um, exactly. Exactly. So that's why it became a little bit tricky. So that, that's why we dialed back out. But yeah, we we do try and do. A so bunch one of the types of videos types of that videos. you you did a lot more in the past, and you some occasionally do it still, is the uh, parody video, the coaster parody videos. That's actually how yeah. I found your channel probably five or six years ago. Um, 
so what I like about that is you and um, whoever writes them with you, I assume that you have help with it. I know there's a, is it Dakota, the guy's name that wears the broken sunglasses? I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he narrates do up, you, but actually, I do you, all You the do writing, a really good so, job of... Yeah, I just... I don't have... You do a really good job of uh, <laughs> saying what everyone's thinking in a lot of cases. But uh, the the I think actually the most recent one is when you did Nickelodeon Universe. Is that the most recent one? That one was yeah, literally yeah, laugh out loud yeah. funny. So my question for you is, uh, first of all, why don't you do this more often? And secondly, what's the process that goes into uh, you know doing those parody videos? Sure. I mean, I, I love them too. Um, I don't do them as often as I used to just because I think my priorities have shifted a little bit and they are also very time consuming to make. So you referenced the um, SpongeBob one. That one we started talking about because they obviously I didn't do the voices for those. Uh, I have a friend that can do incredible impersonations of all those characters. So he did every single one of those characters in that video. Um, Plankton, SpongeBob, Squidward, all of them. And we recorded it in, uh, funny enough, Cincinnati went in like 2020. And so I was sitting on that audio for a couple of years because I hadn't even been to Nickelodeon Universe when we recorded it. But I knew that I wanted to do that. And I, like, I'd been talking to him about how great that'd be to do some video where we could utilize his incredible talents and abilities as uh, the voices. And so um, that one took a lot of planning and then um, figuring out how to do, like we ended up uh, I put all the characters on popsicle sticks because that's like something that they've done in the show. And then I'm in front of green screen, kind of moving them around. So um, a lot of them take a lot of planning. And so as I've gotten busier, um, some some types of videos have just had to take a backseat. And so that ended up being one of them. Uh, I still enjoy doing them, but um, I I love that they are, um, like you said, they're kind of um, talking about some of the things that everyone is often thinking. I try to always be, you know, it's, it's satirical. They're not meant to be taken seriously by any means. Um, I think they're completely ridiculous and funny. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I definitely want to do more in the future. I've, we've, I've, I've had ideas for stuff for, for years. So uh, they'll do Yeah, Taylor, you've traveled all over the United States, Canada, Europe, Asia. Uh, what have you noticed is the biggest difference when comparing and contrasting the different cultures as it pertains to the parks? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to, it's going to differ per, per location, but, um, you know, so I was just in Europe this past summer. I would say the majority of places there are not as roller coaster heavy and they tried to focus more on the experience and that could be in a couple different ways. So, uh, one approach that a lot of places take is just sheer theming. So each area of the park or sometimes the entire park has a cohesive theme that uh, really kind of brings you into that area. Now, not every er not every park is going to be Europa Park or, or Fantasialand that just go like way overboard. But uh, so, so a lot of places do a really, really nice job there. And so I imagine they're spending a good portion of their budget on the area around the rides not just the rides um and i also really appreciate when places like that have a variety of experiences that you can do and that's not just in the form of rides so a lot of places have uh almost these like oversized adult playgrounds and um play structures uh ropes courses things that in the u.s either you wouldn't see or if you did see it'd be an upcharge attraction but there it's just part of the experience where they'll just have a, an area in the park where there's just a bunch of trampolines or 
um, some some attraction that like uh, a, a couple parks we went kayaking around a little lake in the backside of the park. Things that you just don't really see at U.S. parks. And I think that a lot of that is really cool because we'll see families that will sometimes be bringing a full lunch and, and meal with them. And they'll we'll, they'll be grilling in the middle of the park because they have just like a bunch of grills set up and like picnic tables. Like um, it, it's so cool what some of these places come up with. So and, and frankly, the only places I can think of in the U.S. that I really like that are maybe Knobles and like maybe a place like Bay Beach. That's kind of more of a community park than than a theme park. Um, and uh, Asia is a whole nother ball game. So the only country I've done so far there is uh, Japan, but I hope to do South Korea and eventually China one day. Uh, who knows when that will be? But I theme parks there are a little strange because I think what has happened is the people over there are really gravitating towards an intellectual property or something that they really know. So Disney and Universal are king over there. And the regional parks, from what I've seen, receive drastically little attendance. And so um, they often way more run down. And uh, attractions are kind of few and far between where we haven't seen a big new investment in a long time because they just aren't as popular. And so... Um, it's a really interesting vibe going over there. It was um, a couple of places we went to honestly felt abandoned. Like they might as well have been a movie set, you know, uh, for a zombie apocalypse film or something, you know. So it's it's weird. It's really cool, though. I, I think it's eye opening going to, to theme parks in other countries. That insight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching your uh, videos from Japan. You're over there with was it Sean Flaherty, the Ohio Valley Coasters guy? Who was yeah, the fourth? Yeah. I can't remember. We we actually went with uh um there was a total oh, seven of seven of, of us. So a couple two of my yeah, two of my friends went over uh were in live in Europe and they actually flew over uh so going across the other side of the world and and Japan was almost kind of like the the meeting spot there. Um and then um who else were we with? Uh we were with uh my friend Dan who's a midway okay. man. That, uh, that's so, right. Yeah, we, we had like four content creators all producing vi different videos about the same locations. And we'd, you know, they'd be spread out over time. So depending on who you were watching, you'd get different content, which was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, I have noticed that too, not just with you guys, but with different collaborators. Often like the daily vloggers will travel together and it's almost fun to watch their videos because it's the same content but from a different perspective. Well, let me ask you this, kind of tying back into this. You know, you've, you again, you've, you've been to several parks, several countries, several continents. Um, you've mentioned several times in your videos that King's Dominion is your home park. Um how has traveling to other parks affected your perspective of King's Dominion? Do you feel as though you think less about it? Or do you think that it's more like it's almost like coming home when you visit King's Dominion now since you are coming home when you visit King's Dominion now, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I would say my appreciation for King's Dominion has grown since traveling uh, around. I think I definitely took it for granted when I was younger growing up, you know. Uh, Kings Dominion is my home away from home. Uh, I don't get to visit as often as I used to, which is fine. That's the trade-off when you travel around, going to different places. Is uh, your your kind of home park gets kind of put in the back seat, but it's always a pleasure to visit. And um, I I'm always filled with nostalgia when I go, as well as uh, looking forward to the future. And um, I still 
people really enjoy bringing friends there and everything. Um, you can see behind me, I have a poster of the, the singing mm. mushrooms back there. Still always a fan of them. Uh, Big fan um, here, too. Yeah, no, I love them. I always get excited when uh, when I see them. And I love bringing friends to see them because they're always like, what? Like, they're singing, huh? <laughs> so, um, no, I, I I really appreciate stuff that, that King's Queen does. But, I mean, likewise, I, I think that it's really cool going to see what some of these world-class locations do because I think that they're things that, especially with some of the big dogs, you know, you look at Disney, Universal, uh, some of these places that a lot of what they end up doing trickles down to the regional parks in some way, shape, and form. And so it's pretty cool seeing how different locations come up with different things that uh, end up spreading across, even all the way down to the little mom-and-pop places. Yeah, Taylor, when you do what you do, you're going to have different relationships with different parks. And one of the parks you had a strong relationship with was the Ed Hart era of Kentucky Kingdom. Uh, how did that come to be? Talk about that. That was great. I, I did a documentary about Kentucky Kingdom in uh, 2018. And so I, I had met some people through the park in... Uh, I first visited in 2016, but then I, I kind of met some people in 2017. And one one individual, his name was Rob, uh, worked there. And he was a fan of Coast Jews. So whenever I, I went there, he was always super nice talking to me. And, and um, at, there was a point where I was really trying to think about what would be a cool project, something to do. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I went to school for digital cinema. I love telling stories. So I, I had taken multiple classes on uh, documentaries. And so at this point, I I wanted to do something about what's, what would be a cool story. And, and the Kentucky Kingdom, um, that park is just a fascinating history. And and ever since that, that documentary came out, it's only gotten more interesting since Hershend has taken over and everything. But um, so I had approached him about the the feature and he, and I said, could you could we talk about this and see if this is something that'd be possible? And so I sat down on a conference call with him and kind of the whole upper management of Kentucky Kingdom. Um, I had met Ed Hart, but I didn't really know him that well. And so I think Rob was kind of the one who was most familiar with my content and had to kind of vouch and be like, hey, um, this guy does good stuff. I think I think he could uh, tell a story. And so I spent um, couple weeks just down there in Louisville trying to um, talk to the people that could best tell that story. And so a lot of it was old people that uh, worked at the, the park as well as uh, current management and then just going into the editing room and, and figuring out the best way to tie everything together. One thing that whenever I've done a document, I don't like using a narrator. I, I just prefer that the people tell the stories. And so um, it is it's a process trying to get everything to blend together but uh i i love it so that was that was the like the second documentary i, I kind of feature length documentary i did which was in 2018 it was like uh, this is how we roll was finished uh, last year which was an even crazier project yeah well one thing i've noticed because uh, i i watched it i believe you had um the save our park available for free online i remember watching it online before yeah. seeing it at kentucky kingdom in their uh their iWorks theater yeah, that was really shot. cool that that they did that that they worked yeah. with you on that. But one thing I liked about that, I, I, one thing I liked cool. about it is that um, you you can tell the quality difference when you're able to sit down and put time into it because 
you know, you've got the daily vlogs, which are spliced together and throw on the internet. And then with these, it's like the lighting was good. It was all very well color corrected and stuff. So it was a real testament to your talent. I, I, I did like that. Um, but let me ask you this. Um, you, you mentioned Ed Hart. You mentioned a lot of people that are, uh, are frankly not there anymore at Kentucky Kingdom. Uh, do you still have a relationship with that park? Now that it's her? I know that you've worked with Hershen before, but uh, have you had time to reach out to the new management of Kentucky Kingdom? Yeah, yeah, I I've, I know some of them. Um, uh, I I'm real good friends with uh Jefferson, who for the a uh, while was at Kentucky Kingdom. He just recently left. Uh, he he's still uh yeah. A lot of the management has has stepped away. Um, but it's it's I'm very interested in seeing how the the direction of this park uh changes in the future. I know they're now doing uh they're kind of bringing the the pumpkin Illuminates event that they had at like Sodar City in Dollywood to. Kentucky Kingdom now and um, just trying out different things. I know this is a big transition period for them, but you know, I, I wish them uh, the best of luck. Uh, I've, I've met a lot of people through that park, and um, as some of them have um, stuck with it or or moved on to different things, I still try and keep in touch with one of them uh, now and then. So, Don, do you have a question for? Taylor? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, Taylor, um, you know, when you have jobs like Brian and I have, you often, you know, annually or biannually, you, you, you sit down and where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? You know, usually my answer was older. But uh, in, in your case, you know, uh, kind of working for yourself, um, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years, you know, with your education and filmmaking? Uh, do you think you'll still be videos 10 years from now uh where you've moved on you know what is what is taylor 10 years from now doing yeah you know that's a that's an interesting question because i think one thing that i have to even think about is is youtube still going to be a thing in 10 years i hope so but it's very possible that there might be a new platform or something that has come along that is a lot more popular Talk, technology is changing constantly and so there's always going to be something new that is coming up. I still don't understand TikTok. I don't get it. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think a lot of people these days have very short attention spans. So it's interesting to see how content these days is a lot of the times being driven towards something that's very short form. And uh, the YouTube videos that we try to put out are commitments. You have It's something you have to physically click on and you have to watch, sit through an ad to get through the video versus Social media is you, you scroll and new thing pops up. You watch it for two seconds, then you move on to the next one, you know? So um, I like to think that I'll always be doing something out there because I, I always view putting out YouTube videos as a form of an expression. I like being able to kind of put myself out there and um, kind of share my thoughts. I always appreciate when people are interested in them. And uh, even if people weren't watching, I'd probably still be doing something like that to just because I like uh, putting some of my work out there, even if uh, there's not a ton of people seeing it. Um, but, you know, I, I also really hope to be able to continue to strengthen my um, relationship with different parks. I love getting to know people. I love going to places like IAPA and um, meeting with different uh, manufacturers, people from parks, uh, getting to know uh, people to uh, whether it's to make videos uh, about them or uh, produce videos for them. I've I've worked with several companies and parks to 
um, shoot or, or edit things uh, for them that they use in promotional material. Um, and that's always a pleasure. I mean, I think that something I try and do is diversify myself a bit. So YouTube isn't the only form of income that I'm making because I think it's good to have multiple outlets to fall back on in case something were to ever happen. And so um, I do a lot of freelance work with uh, different companies. There's a there's a production company in Baltimore that I do a lot of uh, editing and, and filming with. Um, I'm a commercial drone pilot, so that kind of helps doing able to um, do a lot of flyovers. That's a bit more of a niche uh, ability than um, some of these other things. So uh, these are all things that I I hope to get better with over time, you know, because I, like I said earlier, I, I always want to continue to try and get better and, and learn through things. And so it'll definitely be interesting to see where I am in 10 years. I, I know 10 years ago, I wouldn't have guessed that this is where I'd... Well, <laughs> that was awkward for all of us. <laughs> hey, uh, Taylor, Man. so you, you mentioned... Um... You know, a lot of what you do right now involves uh, different facets of video editing, whether it's the drone stuff or the freelance editing or whatever. But you also mentioned that, um, like, your father made you get a job, like a real job. Well, quote unquote, real job, because what's a real job uh, when you were younger? Uh, besides video editing, like, what other what other jobs have you had? Just just for the sake of argument. Yeah, um, I mean, so I mentioned that that first job I had when I was in high school. I worked at a gym. Uh, it had free memberships to the gym which i never took advantage of i, I just worked the front desk and um uh I, pretty much everything else has been either coaster studios or freelance outsourced work through either different companies or um parks or um yeah things like pretty much filming i mean that's what i got a degree in so um i like being able to utilize that in the editing world or or um filming and uh, production. Um, and also, I mean, you know, there's kind of a whole subsection of that with with YouTube because, you know, part of, I guess, running a business is there's multiple outlets and things that you can turn to to, um, to kind of take full advantage of that. So um, I've learned a lot about merchandise sales through, through things like this, as well as um, kind of uh, graphic design, doing, doing things like that. And... Um, even uh, advertising, which has been been a whole so all these different kind of um, kind of subcategories of things that are like all kind of related to digital media, but things that I initially probably wouldn't have tried to learn as much about had I not gotten going with Coaster Studios. Yeah, Taylor, if you're going to make videos about anything besides the amusement theme park industry, what would that be? Oh man. Uh, I would say movies. I, I enjoy, I enjoy watching movies and talking about them. Uh, some, every once in a while on Twitter, I do a, like a, a tw tweet review of some new movie I've seen. So I, I don't know, maybe it'd be like a kind of a breakdown of that. I enjoy watching, uh, other YouTube channels talk about whatever film just came out. So I'd say probably something like that, but I don't think I would be doing as anywhere near as good of a job as the way some of these other channels are doing. So, so um, I'm very grateful that I fell into the, the category that I did. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's a, that's some really good uh, information, Taylor. I really appreciate it. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, in the theme park industry, there's a lot of quin pro quo. It's kind of like a, what have you done for me lately situation? 
Um, obviously, there are parks out there that see the value in what you do, and that's why you get invited to the media days and you know things of that sort. Uh, in your opinion, what's the value that you bring to parks? What do, what do you bring to the table that the parks can can leverage? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that that's a great point. It, it's very interesting working with different parks because um, I think a lot of people have different understandings of what media is and and advertising um because there's there's a because youtube is still it's you know i think it's gotten a lot more kind of credibility compared to what it was but we also live in a day and age where uh anyone can just call themselves an influencer you know and because uh with social media you can have a reach of how many people and so you have to to i think a lot of these people are take kind of having to find the value in what uh appeal is this person going to have for the audience that they're trying to reach you know back in the day it was it was tv and newspapers though that was media and so if you weren't uh from a tv station or or some uh newspaper you probably weren't going to a media day and so um i i I appreciate as a content creator that a lot of uh, parks have kind of realized that change and um have have an understanding that YouTube channels bring a different audience than a newspaper or a TV station might. So, for instance, when I turn on the news, which I never turn on the news, but if I if I were turning on the news, the things that they're talking about maybe might interest. They might interest me um, more often than not. Though it's something that is uh, very broad or specific that uh, it probably isn't something that I would be really interested in and um focusing on but people who go to a youtube channel are there because they are interested in that topic and so they're more likely to go to that location that they're watching a video off of because the fact that they clicked on a video means they are purposefully dedicating time to watch content about that location they're interested they're actively interested in learning about it versus a news station where something's on in the background that's not a digging ads any uh, TV stations or anything, but it's a different audience. There are people that are going to be more engaged in what is being discussed. So uh, the way I see it is, you know, uh, Coaster Studios has over 200,000 subscribers. That is 200,000 people that are interested in theme parks. 200,000 people that are likely to go out and spend money at that park because while not everyone is going to watch every single video, they are because they hit that subscribe button, this is something that they... Um, are at least somewhat interested in learning more about and seeing what is out there. And so I think that's what's really cool about um, doing this is that, one, I can create content for people that uh, are on different levels of an understanding. So you have people that are in the, the theme park community. They are very knowledgeable about stuff. But then I can also make videos that is for a casual theme park goer that maybe makes one trip a year. And maybe it's even to just the local park. But um, they'll watch something and say hey i'm gonna put that on my to-do list i might not go for a couple years but because i watched something and i heard someone's review i uh saw their experience how much fun they're having they they say i want to go and do that one day yeah taylor uh, ryan and i we had uh in previous podcasts talked about this a little bit where you know when my career began it was uh you know you had print radio tv you know that was the toolkit that you had and nowadays the printing press is youtube with what you're doing it's instagram it's facebook 
Uh, it's, you know, people that do a lot of tweeting and things, you know, with these different, uh, you know, enthusiast groups and things like that. And you are reaching that audience that is very interested in what your product is. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a lot of value in what uh, you and other YouTubers and, uh, you know, the other influencers, depending on what channel they're working with, do. Well, I appreciate it. I I, I really appreciate that um, a lot of people, you know, from the, the park side of things are are starting to see that uh, every once in a while, I, I, you know, will extend uh, an email out to a park about, uh, hey, I want to come visit here. I want to do some some filming. Here's what I had in mind. And and every once in a while, you get uh, just a a flat out no, where it's like we don't see the value in what you do. We don't we don't need you. And and so like you know, I, again, it's different perspectives. And you know, for some international locations, I mean, maybe that is true. But um, I I think that it's I can produce the best sort of content when the parks are um, on board with it and are saying, "Hey, let's let's do something that just makes makes the park look great." You know, can really highlight um, a a day to be able to show all these different things that they that they offer. So um, it's it's been pretty cool working with a lot of different places about that. Yeah, well, Taylor, you recently released "This Is How We Roll" a documentary about RMC. How did that come to be? Talk about that. So. That actually started off as a as my senior project for for my school. So in order to graduate with a digital cinema degree at my university, you had to do a big final project, which could have been a short film, a documentary, something like that. And so because I had done mm -hmm. films like Save My Park at Kentucky Kingdom, I knew I wanted to do a documentary. I wanted to tell some sort of story. And because I had all of these different connections and people that I had met through the industry, I wanted to do something that was... Uh, specific to the theme park world. And so, you know, I had a list of different ideas and stuff like that. And um, I was kind of amazed that there wasn't some sort of feature about the story of Rocky Mountain construction. Because I, you know, I was a big, big fan of their attractions. But their story that I knew at the time was very interesting uh, where they were pretty much nothing 10 years ago and now they're making the hottest stuff in the industry and so uh, i was like i would i just want to know how that even happened how did that come to be and then knowing fred and alan you know uh, what kind of people they were i'm like this this has the potential to be a pretty interesting story and so i had reached out to amy who's fred's daughter about this and you know she kind of talked to the rmc team and and you know the the thing that she came back with was you know, we've been wanting someone to tell our story and we didn't know how that would be, if it would be in the form of TV. I think she said that some station had come out to do a, some feature, but it ended up being more like a drama where they were trying to like fake stuff. And it was like they, they just weren't really vibing with it. And so um, she's like, you know, we've seen your stuff and we think that you'd be a great person to tell the story. And so at that point, that's when it was like, OK, let's try and figure out how we can make this the best that it can possibly be, because at the core I'm I'm a fan. I, I'm a filmmaker who just wants to do to tell the best story that uh, possible. And so, um, uh, because I think I had an understanding of RMC, I knew, knew already some people who'd be great to talk to. And to one person, you then learn about oh well, this happened involving this person. So now it's, okay, let's go talk to this person. And so then it ends up becoming this web of people who all kind of tied in with this one central story. And so um, it was an incredible project 
it was a huge undertaking. I think I started it in January or February of 2020, and then it debuted uh, towards the end of 2021. So it was like a year and a half, I think, from start to finish. And uh, and all that was while still running a YouTube channel. I mean, for a while, you know, Coast Studios definitely took a back seat where there'd be sometimes a, a week or more without posting anything because I just was just trying to focus on on doing this. But uh, the end result was was fantastic. I mean, uh, the amount of miracles and things that that came together to make that that documentary happen was was outstanding. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, yeah. Thank I you. mean, I, I watched I it as well, it. and it was uh, you, you. It did not give the vibe of YouTuber. It gave the vibe of filmmaker. So, very congratulations on that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, on that subject, Thank you you. Uh, you debuted it to the RMC people at Lagoon Park, right? Silverwood. Silverwood. Okay, Silverwood. yeah. Yeah. Um, so you debuted that at Silverwood and uh, you know, we mentioned that Save Our Park was shown on loop at Kentucky Kingdom. How does it feel to have mm-hmm. the parks involved in, in your filmmaking? That's that's gotta be a really cool feeling. Yeah, it was very, very cool. Um Silverwood at you know, we worked with a lot of different parks to make this is how we roll, but Silverwood was the best by far. I mean, um, first of all, they're 10 minutes away from RMC. And so Silverwood is the RMC park, even before they had stunt pilot. That was where they had all their prototypes uh, in in place. And Fred had a hand in so many different things at Silverwood. Every single roller coaster he was somehow involved with. He built the entire water park. And so because um, he did he did maintenance there. Did, that's just how he got started was just construction. And that's not even what he was hired to do. It just kind of ended up happening that way. And so um, it's really, really cool to to think about that. So um, the, the team there at Silverwood was uh, 100% on board with it. And so when the film was in its final stages of coming together, I was I was at stunt pilot uh, opening, you know, just capturing a bunch of different footage to this and so i was talking to the um guy from public relations and who at this point i'd gotten to know pretty well and so i'm like what do you think if we premiered this at silverwood you know it's uh that way everyone from rmc could come out to to see this and we just have a uh showing in the the theater there and then afterwards we all go and ride stunt pilot and i was like thinking this is gonna cost a fortune and you know because like i'm you know, I, I had to spend a decent amount of money to make this film happen, but also, you know, I was just straight out of college. And so I'm like, I think this would be really cool, but let's see. And he's, and they're like, let's do it. Like hundred percent. Like, like, like they, they were all about it. I think in their eyes, it was a big, uh, also uh, free publicity, which it was. Silverwood was a kind of the anchor of, of that film, but it was just a really, really cool, um, opportunity that, I mean, everyone came out in their tuxedos and, uh, we had, uh, hors d'oeuvres and then everyone came, we sat got up on stage talked about the film uh fred was there people flew in from all across the country we convinced a bunch of friends to come out for this people who had never even been to the state of idaho before and and then everyone goes and rides stunt pilot in their suits and dresses and everything it was probably a top five night of my life it like there's it was unreal and then the crazy thing was a week later we then premiered it at six flags headquarters in arlington texas um, which was a whole nother crazy thing. Cause uh, I think like 200 people came out to see the film. They got a tour of six flags HQ and uh, a bunch of people from RMC came out for that. And, uh, that was, that was a huge honor being able to have like six flags be on board with this, this film, wanting to show it at their, 
um, where they do everything. And and when when that happened, they hadn't even seen the film. They they'd seen a trailer, and they were like, "Hey, let's put this on here." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a that's a lot of um, right. <laughs> nerves." Being like, "Man, I hope I hope that they." I hope that they like this because we just put on this big event and they haven't even seen it yet. So, um, but it was a huge, uh, really, really positive turnout. And so it was just, uh, everything about it was, was surreal. Awesome. Cool. Taylor, who in the theme park community do you turn to for inspiration? Ooh, that's a, that's a loaded one. Um, man, um, That's tricky because, like, I'm friends with a lot of other content creators, but I wouldn't say that um, I necessarily use any of their content or anything that they do as as inspiration for mine. I, I think I've always tried to do my own thing and, and not try and kind of worry about what other people do. I, so I think I think instead I would say there's people that I when I see their stuff, it um drives me to try and and work harder and do do what I do but uh and and do things that are um I would say even better than before or just you know things that I can I can do to become the best version of myself maybe so um like I think of uh I, someone I I admire is I uh, is a friend of mine Ryan who does El Toro Ryan his videos are incredible um very very detailed things that I would never do, but I see the the effort and things that, that he puts into his videos. And that just makes me want to work harder to do mine. Not because we're competing, but because, because uh, I mean, honestly, anyone can subscribe to anyone on YouTube. You aren't buckled down. You aren't uh, told you can only watch one, one YouTube channel, you know? But uh, I, I appreciate it when other content creators are doing, like, such good stuff that um, I'm like, yeah, I want to go out and do... Uh, good stuff myself i i also look at um uh people that do like uh, a lot of filming and advertising for parks i see um like devin olson and his group that just do like the amazing uh filmmaking like like uh promos and and ads for parks um they do really good stuff so like i see his stuff and i'm like i want to get better um in the filming department and and things like that so um there's a lot of really talented people out there that's for sure all right so taylor there, there are a million YouTubers out there, all right? Um, only one I know of has debuted a movie they made at, like, the Six Flags headquarters. So, with that being said, <laughs> um, you know, obviously you have been uh, pretty good at creating relationships with a lot of the parks. You know, you mentioned Silverwood, and um, I know that, like, when you made the RMC documentary, you were at Dollywood when they were closed to film Lightning Rod and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, how did you go by creating these relationships and how do you maintain them uh, currently? Yeah, I, I think IAPA is definitely definitely a big thing. Um, I cannot emphasize enough how, how cool it is to be walking around the show floor and here's everyone from this industry that I love so much all in one place. And um, I'm, I'm a pretty outgoing person. I love talking with people. So um I know at the end of the day, a lot of people are go there for IAPA because they're there to buy and sell. So I'm not necessarily the target uh, audience for some of these places because I'm not a buyer or a seller, but I am there to build relationships with people. I love uh, just getting to know a lot of these people. So, you know, if it's a, a company or a 
sparks some, something that I, I admire. I love meeting the people who are behind that and, and get to make it happen. And so I think also sometimes, you know, it, I mean, you guys know how it goes. You talk to one person, they say, mm -hmm. oh, you got to meet this person. And then you just kind of build your network that way. And um, as for maintaining it, you know, I think nothing is stronger than when you're going out there to wherever it is and you you're visiting them you're following up on that location so if it's a park that uh you know people at being able to follow up it, you know it's as quick as uh saying like hey i'm gonna be be there i'd love to to say hi i'd love to i mean or maybe if it's a video i'm making i'd love to do this this here and then you can uh kind of further that relationship that way or um, you know, if it's a place that you can't visit as much, you know, even even keeping up with uh, social media. I mean, there's there's people that I I know at parks that um, have worked there for years, places that are, are far away. I don't get to visit as often. But um, whenever I do, I love hitting them up being like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's uh, let's get together. Let's let's do do this. And that's that's pretty cool. I love that this community is so huge and global, but it feels so intimate. It's every everyone knows everyone and everyone's located in different places. I think that is the coolest thing. Yeah, Taylor, 200,000 subscribers you mentioned. Uh, you're regular with the content. So obviously when you go to these different parks, you've got a pretty good following. You get recognized. Uh, so do you enjoy that notoriety? I, I, I do. I, I always enjoy talking with uh, people who are, are fans of the channel. Um, I, I try not to let it go to my head because i i think in this you know with uh, uh the way that um kind of fame gets to a lot of people um and so i try to keep myself humble and and think about that i definitely would not be where i am if it weren't for for these people so i i really appreciate whenever people come up and say hi uh some of the things that you know people tell me they're like hey i'll i'll be sitting down with my family. We're all theme park fans. We'll throw your videos on the TV as we're eating dinner. And at that point, I've kind of, I'm, I'm part of their, their lives. I, um, they, a lot of these people feel like they know me, which is, which is crazy because they're people I've never met before. But the, there's this kind of, um, it's a, it's a strange relationship where it's like I, I of course appreciate, um, their, their following. I love that they keep the, that they're interested in the content and everything. Um, and so it's it's fun sometimes just talking with people who uh, will come up and they're they're all casual like like we've known for years and so it, it's it's pretty cool I I really enjoy it absolutely all right so Taylor here's a question and uh, this isn't going to be a softball question but this really pertains to uh, you know what we've been talking about uh, you know the past ten minutes or so but you mentioned that. Uh, Creating relationships with parks is very important, and you, you talked about all the hard work you put into it. He also mentioned that you know connecting with the audience is very important and putting out the content. Um, so there's a member of your channel that attacks people on Twitter sometimes very quickly. You, however, stay in your lane a little bit. Do you worry about that affecting your relationship with parks or chains or anything like that? Um, well, I, I'm not sure I would use the word attack, uh, for, uh, what you're describing. Um, I think that there's a difference between, uh, and opinions and, and staying with what you believe in and, uh, defending those, those thoughts 
and I think that's different from um, outright trying to start something. I personally do not really involve myself with anything that I guess could be considered a sensitive topic, things that people are, um, you know, like uh, one of the things that people say it's like a, uh, religion, politics, um, sexuality, yeah. anything like that. <laughs> I typically just try and keep everything theme parks and roller coasters. But, you know, I, I, I say props to people who are um, passionate about what they believe in and they're willing to stand up for their beliefs. Um, just because I don't do it doesn't mean that um, I don't uh, appreciate people that are, are strong in what they, they believe in. You know, people have a platform. Everyone is... It's kind of like what we talked about. In a way, a lot of people are influencers. And a lot of people are just trying to make a difference and, and, you know, make the world a better place. And some people have different perspectives and ideas of what, what Would that you is. say that um, since you you seem to be like the attraction to you is that you seemed like like a nice guy. And, you know, no matter who you are, you could probably get along with them. Um, do you do you stay out of that sort of stuff by design, do you feel like or do you do it specifically because you don't have the interest level and the passion level that others do. Not that, you know, different social issues or whatever aren't important to you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, do, do you do you feel as though, like, the Coaster Studios Twitter is not an appropriate channel to express those things? Or do you think that you, being Taylor, do not have a desire to tweet about it? Like, where's the separation there? I would say it's a bit of both. So um, I would say that on Twitter, that is my personal Twitter. Um, while I will oftentimes post about uh, things that are channel related, I will also tweet some of my own thoughts. And personally, even in my own life, I don't really try and get myself involved in some of those things that we talked about, like as uh, uh, sensitive topics, because um, I, personally, I'm a very passive person. Um, um, I, I don't like engaging in conflicts, you know, things like uh, things that will cause disagreements. And so uh, personally, I try and focus on things, especially that are uh, on topic for whatever my platform is. So on Coaster Studios, I've I've made it kind of exclusive where we, it's theme parks and roller coasters and it's right. nothing else. On Twitter, that I'll, I'll post my own personal thoughts, things that are unrelated however uh i personally wouldn't be talking about some of those things that um might not be widely well received by everyone because uh that's just i don't i don't involve myself in some right of those yeah no and i understand that and i i like i said i wasn't trying to back you into any corner for any particular issue or anything it just it, it was i always saw that the attraction with you, you know, uh, in, into today, because even with our conversation today, you're always like, I just enjoy doing this. And I love talking to people and stuff. And you're exactly the type of person that like you come through as, as you do on the videos, you know, so that comes through as genuine. Um, but you don't strike me as the type that would take a stand, but some people that are tied to you do. So I was I always wondered how you thought you, how you felt about that. So I appreciate you, uh, you talking about that. So, Don, do you have any final questions for Taylor? You know, no, Taylor, I agree with, you know, how you approach it. I'm pretty much the same way on my own channels where, you know, I, I talk about whether it's theme parks or, you know, being a big sports fan. And I'll put things out there about the Cincinnati Reds or the Bengals. But I don't, 
you know, get into it where I'm going to get into arguments with people about who's playing, who's not playing, the manager should be, you know, those kind of things. I stay clear of that just because, number one, I'm not knowledgeable enough of what goes on inside those organizations to know why they make some of those decisions that they do. But, um, yeah, but I just try to stay in my own lane, you know, just like you kind of mentioned there. But, uh, you know, you're very passionate about the industry that comes shining through. And, uh, you know, it's always great. Uh, Ryan and I always love talking to people that love the industry as much as we do. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us on the Attractions Group podcast. And, uh, you know, we'll be sure to, uh, you know, send you the link after it's uh, up here. And, uh, you know, appreciate your time tonight. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Taylor. Hey, yeah, before you go, though, uh, why don't you, uh, this is how we roll is available for purchase. Why don't you tell everybody where you can get that? Yes. Yeah, so it's a vimeo.com slash on demand slash this is how we roll movie. And you can rent it or you can buy it. So when you rent it, you have the option to watch it as many times as you want within a 24-hour period. Uh, or you can buy it and you can watch it as many times as you want uh, forever. And that also includes some uh, fun behind-the-scenes content. There's some uh, features where we're sitting down talking about the making of the film. Uh, there's a full commentary. That's awesome. Some fun yeah, stuff like I, that. you did a fantastic job on it. We love it. Um, so just since we talked about it, Save Our Park, where do you watch that? Yeah, so Save My Park is available on YouTube. If you just uh, look up Save My Park documentary or uh, Kentucky Kingdom documentary, awesome. you and can see if... that there. And I don't, I don't believe they still show it at the Kentucky Kingdom gift shop. Otherwise, I'd say you could go in the park and and watch it there. But I think after Hershen, yeah, they move. And Taylor, <laughs> Taylor, if they're not uh, already um, subscribing to your channels, uh, following you on your different channels, where can they find you? Coaster Studios on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram is, I think, Coaster underscore Studios. Um, Twitter, at Coaster Studios is my uh, association there. And uh, I I would really awesome. appreciate we'll the follow. Put your Thanks again for your time. In our, in our description. So anybody uh, who's not familiar with Taylor, who if you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you are. But, you know, if you're not, then check the description because you can find his uh, social media as well as a link to his uh, YouTube channel. But thank you so much, Taylor. Awesome. Sure thing. Right, thank coming you up in future podcast, uh, foreseeable future, we have Tom Rebbe from the Philadelphia Toboggan Coasters Company. He'll be joining us. John Keeter, uh, you might be familiar with him, a uh, big Kings Island fan. He's got a coffee table book that he's put together that uh, kind of chronicles the park's 50-year history. That'll be available uh, at the park soon. So we'll be talking to him and looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next week here on the Attractions Group Podcast.